I think collaborating saved my career, or I guess not my career, but shit, maybe my life, just when it was just in a tough spot. Because, um, I mean, me hitting Terrell up uh, at the suggestion of Fonte was basically because, you know, I was plateauing creatively. And, you know, I was putting in, putting in, putting in, but, like, it wasn't, it wasn't shifting anything. It wasn't seeming like I was growing. It seemed like I was just kind of going through the motions. These kind of relationships that get disturbed when we don't take the time to know what it is to say, to know how to Welcome, welcome to another very special episode of Tone the Four. Before I say the brother's name, I'm going to tell you who he is before I tell you who he is. <laughs> Writer, producer, liner note reader, inspiration to a lot of people. Friends to a few, father of one, son, brother, multi-instrumentalist, music director of Foreign Exchange, and an overall beautiful, beautiful human being. I have the pleasure of hosting Zoe. How you doing, brother? I'm good, man. I'm good. I appreciate you giving me that space. To yeah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's uh, uh, you are a lot of things, man. Balled up into just one beautiful human being, man. I, I, I it's, it, I, I feel like I got to lead up. That's my lead up. So, uh, you know, artists, artists don't take compliments well. So, you know, I'm, I'm cringing up like, okay, all right, all right. But can no, it's, can it's he cool. hurry up? Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's cool. I appreciate it. I know sometimes we, um, we're known for, we have a uh, public facing, you know, persona and that gets overshadowed by all of these other titles and roles that we have in life, man. And I think when I have people come on, it's important for me to recognize that they are a lot of things, yeah. you know, yeah. and a lot of those other things actually feed into the art. That's what helps. 100%. Foster that public-facing mm -hmm. art and work and all of that kind of stuff. So I appreciate you agreeing to do this, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Absolutely. No question. I see uh, you've got some interviews out online, but you know, I, I I take it as a as a as a deep, sincere honor, man, to be able to host you and um, just talk about a bunch of things. What um, when I reached out to you initially to see if uh, you'd be interested. I just find people's lives fascinating, dude. Mm. And, and their, their, their origin story. You connect on so many different levels with people through sound. I'm always curious to know the path that people took to get to perfecting and, and, and honing and perfecting that craft into something that's just to the right person, man, it's, 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 it's measurable. Yeah. Um, and so 
in that, let me take a step back, bro, before I start that. You're looking good. Thank you, man. Yeah. Thank you, man. You posted something. Working on it. About uh, a couple weeks ago mm. saying seven years? You've yeah. been, this is, the, this is the lightest in. This is the lightest I've been in since 2015. What's been going on with that? Uh, well, I mean, I play sports. So, you know, having a baseball background, always working out, always running, always, you know, being on some type of mood. Like, health wasn't really anything that I really had to concentrate on. Okay. It, always, it was just always there. It was just always kind of built in. Then when baseball stopped, then, you know, weight started fluctuating because, you know, then you start, you start working, mm -hmm. uh, you know, your time gets divided between so many different things. Whereas when I was playing ball, my time was divided between baseball and school. Yeah. A little bit of social life, but like baseball and school was the main, that was the main factor. Mm -hmm. On top of that, I mean, you know, I was in my early 20s. So, you know what I mean? You Metabolism. Got, you got that too. On a thousand. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. I, you know, we was eating Waffle House, like, <laughs> like Taco Bell, yeah. 40 ounces. Uh, at two, two in the morning, yeah. going to bed, and then waking up at, at five to go condition at six. And, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. If, if the, the things, I mean, all of us wish we had what we had now back then. Yeah. Um, up here, but like, you know, but, um, but yeah, once baseball stopped, then it was, you know, the the weight started fluctuating. And, you know, where my normal playing weight was like 220, 215, 220. Um, you know, then I started seeing 250 and 260. Mm. And it's like, you know, who, I don't even know who this is. Yeah. And, you know, I, <clears throat> I was, you know, up and down, up and down. Um, around 2015, I had gotten down again. Um and was, you know, was down to about 240, I think. And I was like, word up, you know, this is it's coming along. And then my dad died. In 2015? Yep, at the end of 2015. Okay. And after that, I was like, fuck it. Cause yeah. like, you know, at that point, for me, and I know a lot of people can, can uh, um, uh, I know I have a lot of witnesses for this, but like, for me, food is a lot. Like it's celebratory. Yep. But it's also when you get down, it's what makes you happy. You know what I mean? So, like, when my, when my dad died, I was like, shit, fuck this shit, man. I'm about to, I'm about to eat. Yeah. I'm about to eat whatever. Like, yeah. it's whatever. <clears throat> so the next time I got on the scale, I was back at, like, 260-something. And from there, like, I hadn't really come back down at all. Um, I think in, 20, in 2018, I tore my knee up. And uh, at that point, I was up to 280 and brought it back down a little bit, <clears throat> um, going through some shit, like 2019, got back up 280. And like, I'll look at that, I'll look at pictures from that time and be like, yo, like, I don't even know who the fuck this is. Yeah. And, you know, 2019, 2020, pandemic, we in the house. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, I'm. You know, we all scared to go outside. Yeah. So it's like we want. You know, I wasn't exercising. Um, again, to make you happy, food, and on top of the food, it was drink. Mm -hmm. So it was like, you know, I'm just at home. I was scrolling through my pictures the other day. I just had a pan of 
like penne pasta with, you know, and that shit looked fantastic. Like it was, you know, vodka sauce and you oh, know, man. ground turkey. I'm like, yo, that shit looks incredible. But like, you know, I would eat some of that and then eat off of that for the week. Yeah. Drink and not do anything. 280. And so from 280, you know, now sitting at like 240, 240, 245 right now. How you feeling? I'm feeling great. Look good, man. Feeling great. And uh <clears throat> for me with the with the weight thing, so I used to be around 240. Mm-hmm. I had a 40 inch waist, bro, and I had like an 18 and a half or so inch neck, 40 ounces, bro, and just Damn. my suits. I wore a I wore a 42, 44 jacket. Damn. Yeah, bro. Yeah. That's like my jacket. Yeah. Like I was I was robust. Yeah. <laughs> and I was also the most unhappiest I had been in my life mm-hmm. and my food mm-hmm. and I was also drinking more mm-hmm. than I like and it wasn't until a little bit later in my life where I realized oh all of this shit is connected uh-huh. like in a in a real uh-huh. way and I once I started pulling the string to see what else was going to unravel it um it gave me it, it empowered me to make different types of decisions and understanding like how the stuff was connected mm-hmm. to because I didn't I didn't know, but I didn't know before. Um, On top of the fact, I, you want your primary doctor off your back. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to hear anything from my, from my, uh, from my primary care doctor. Like I go in when I, I went in, um, uh, was it last last week? I had I had an appointment with him, and and he was liking my progress. Nice. And I'm also working on, you know, I'm working on blood pressure stuff. Yeah. Too, which is, you know, that's shit people can't see. Yeah, it's family. That's you know, I got I got a family history. I mean, my father passed from uh from heart issues and uh so I mean I know that it's in my DNA and I have to now at age forty four, like I have to it's a full time full time job. Mm-hmm. It's a lifestyle. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So like, you know, I I can't even go into Waffle House anymore. You know, I gotta, I've gotta, I've gotta cut that. You know, if you get a cheat day or something like oh, that, yeah, you, yeah, for you sure. know, do do your thing. But like, you know, if I'm if I'm eating, I'm eating breakfast. I'm eating oatmeal with some with some blueberries, mm-hmm. cinnamon, and strawberries. Yeah. Uh, or like some cereal. Um, you know, in the afternoon, like everything I eat right now normally comes with like a bag of spinach. So you know, keep the leafy greens on the side. Broccoli, you know, something, add that to it so that I'm eating that stuff at least twice a day. Dope. You know what I mean? To try to keep that, keep that BP under, under, under wraps. Cause I mean, you know, I'm, uh, was put on medication for it for the first time two years ago. Mm. And, you know, my entire goal, even with the weight loss, weight loss and healthier decisions and all of that is to get off, you know, shit. Get off that, get off the meds, man. Cause I don't want to be dependent on that. Are, are you a are you a junior? No, I mean I'm named after my father, but technically I'm not a junior because he didn't have a middle name. Okay, and, and you do. Yeah. Okay, so I'm a junior, and like I get the feeling, dog, that your dad was like your everything to a point, to a degree. Yeah, and what's it was funny is like me and him had a really complicated relationship. Okay. I was really, I'm still am really close to my mother, um, always, 
me and him really didn't start getting along until I left for college. And I don't know if it was like the miss factor hmm. or if it was, you know, he's going to college to be a man. You know, I don't know what it, I don't know what it was, but it was like a, you know, switch. And when I went off to college and came back home, like it was, it was different. And I was like, wow, this is like, we actually, we actually getting along. And it's not a thing where it's like, he's, you know, trying to be overbearing or, you know, be super stern or be, you know, just be hard on me for, for no reason, which is what it was. And like, you know, we butted heads a lot. Um, but when, when I went off to college, which I'm glad happened yeah. because, you know, I had that time from college to 2015 with him to where, you know, we, we were good. So that was, that was a, that was a good thing. That do, was a good thing. Do you think it was a part of your, cause you the oldest, right? You got a, you got a sister who's younger. Yep. Um, <clears throat> Do you think that was a part of him trying to instill a rite of passage, so to speak? Like, kind of, sorta. It was. I, I, I kind of think it was. It was kind of a, almost a hazing. Okay. Um, of his, of his son. Uh, in which now that I have my own child, I have a daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't parent that way. I parent and you know, I always say men, men, uh, tall black have this conversation all the time. It's like leading, you, you lead with love. Yeah. Um, that's how I parent because I don't want to, you know, you're going to get hazed enough through, through life. You know, you go to a new school, you're going to get hazed in some way. You start a new, you know, job, you start a new, uh, you know, anything new in you know, situation in, in life, like you're going to have some type of hazing. Yeah. That's not my, that's not my job. My job is to love you and to guide you through, you know, these certain obstacles. So that's what I do with her and, you know, making sure like I, I'm, I'm heavy with, uh, communication with her. She's about to be a teenager next year. She's 12. She's 12. And, uh, you know, just making sure I, you know, I know that she's not going to tell me everything, Yeah. but I want to make sure to give her, you know, consistently give her the option. It's like, you know, even if you're not, like, you know that you can come to me with little to no judgment and let's, let's, let's walk through this thing, whatever it is. When, um, one of the things I find fascinating about you, man, is you kind of had two loves in the beginning music and baseball Mm -hmm. and you started out very early piano lessons were you were you connected to music in a way that made you want to keep doing it or was it more of like a chore that ended up leading you to do baseball uh in the beginning music music listening as a fan was a love music playing was a chore okay um and that's just because you know i was five or six years old (laughs) you know what i mean you five and six you you come home like that was the era of you come home take your school clothes put on your play clothes and you go out and you get busy until the street light come on come on right um you know barring you know you did your homework or you know whatever so you know it was just a lot of energy that i had um 
a lot of outside energy. Yeah. I didn't have energy to sit down at a piano and practice for an hour or a half hour. Um, and what was funny was, you know, our, our piano used to be in the basement. And clearly, you know, if you're in the basement, you make noise, you can hear it through the floor. Right. But as a, you know, as an elementary school kid, you don't think, you're like, that logic doesn't work like that. Right. So I um, go downstairs and, you know, I'm mad. You know, moms have brought me in from outside. I'm outside playing tag or football or riding bikes or whatever. Come back inside. <clears throat> Come back inside and she like, you know, you got to practice. Like, damn, man. Go down there, do like two scales, come back upstairs. I'm done. And mom was like, no, you're not. Like, <laughs> you've been down there like 30 seconds. Go down there and finish your stuff. So back then, it was, it was, a, it was really a chore. Um, okay. It wasn't really something I enjoyed. If you would have told me that I would be doing this professionally, at, you know, for a living, I would have laughed you out, laughed you out the room. Um, you know, I started falling in love with baseball probably around, <clears throat> probably around 85, 86. And that puts you at what age? That's, uh, I was probably about seven, eight. Okay. So, so mom was pushing the, the lessons? Mom was pushing the lessons, but she was also pushing baseball. Okay. Because she was a huge baseball fan. My, my father was a big football fan. And so my, I would see my mom. And plus the, the Tigers had just won the World Series, 84. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was all, it was all around. And, um. You know, I credit myself because, like, now I'm, I'm a huge, like, numbers guy. Like, I'm, like, Rain Man with numbers. Mm. I remember numbers really well, which is why I'm really good with birth dates. Um, and I credit that to, to baseball because baseball is huge on statistics and, okay. you know, who has the most this and who, you know, did this. And now they got even more statistics that they've added on in the last 10 years. It's mm. confusing as shit, even to me. And I'm just like, yo, like... What is going on? But, you know, it's, it's based heavily in statistics. Um, but that was something that, that she got me into. I remember one Easter, maybe 86 or 87, she bought me, like, a, a baseball card uh, holder. Oh, wow. That looked like a baseball, which I still have. And then she bought me some Topps baseball cards. And I just remember looking on the back like, yo, this is crazy. Like, they had all the... Player stats, stats yeah. Where they was from, their birth dates, and I'm just like, yo. So I like, I got hooked. I was hooked. So when did you, when did you, um, at what point was there ever a point in time where you did, where you shifted from music and went to baseball full time? Yes, and that was right when I started baseball, probably around '87, '87, '80. Okay. I think I played. My first year I played was. 88, I believe. I think it was 88. If it wasn't 87, it was 80. I was, I was 9 or 10. Okay. So you go all in to baseball. Mm -hmm. So much so, bro, that you got good. Yeah. And got drafted to the Toronto Blue Jays. What was that? What was happening? Tell me about that piece of it. Um, yeah, I, I dove head first into baseball. Um, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a big learning curve for me. First season, I was like, first season, I was like an all-star. Because I, you know, by that time, I had studied it so much. 
you know, I would go outside, and it's funny, like, if you go to my, the house that I kind of grew up in, in, in uh, Southfield, Michigan, there's a big tree. There's two big trees in the front yard. Mm. And even if you drive past it now, you can still kind of see it. But, like, I would go outside. My, my godfather, who lived across the street, gave me his softball bat, this big metal bat. I was like, man, this thing is huge. And I would go outside and simulate full baseball games by hitting on this tree. I had no ball, nothing. So I, I would hit the tree and then I'd, you know, run around, you know, if you got a double, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, and hit like this big hole in the tree where it's like all the bark is stripped off, all the, like <laughs> everything. It was right in front of the house. I'm surprised the house even sold after, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it's this huge hole. And um, I remember my godfather seeing that, seeing me tearing this tree up and he ended up getting me a, a T and a, and a ball. Okay. You, you know, you, you stick it in the ground, you hit you the hit ball, it. and it comes back to you, whatever, whatever. Um, so that's how, I, like, that's, I would do that every day. I would do that every day. <clears throat> what then, position did you play? Um, at first, shoot, pretty much through, pretty much through high school, I played first base and I pitched. Oh. Huh. But interesting, like, I'm playing first base, um, but I'm, like, the fastest on the squad all the time. And so my high school coach ended up taking me. He was like, yo, we got to put you in the outfield because if you want to get drafted, they're not going to draft, like, a speedy first baseman. You got to play. Yeah. So he started playing me in center field, and that's what I played. I played, played center field, got, uh, got drafted by Toronto. Um, what was that, June 4th of 96? Out of high school. Out of high school. Um, <laughs> they, sent a tele- they sent a telegram. <laughs> what? They sent a telegram, dog. So I got, I've got the telegram. You got the telegram? Of me getting drafted. I still got it hung up in my, in my room in, in Michigan. And I was drafted um, in the 13th round by Toronto. Did you play? No, I didn't. <clears throat> and the way that that works is um, I had a choice. I had to choose. So... The dude that was, rec- I cannot re- think of his name. I can see his face, but I can't think of his name. Um, what they would do is they would, they would offer you a certain amount of money. Sometimes you would get offered, um, um, you know, money for books or school or something like that. But they, they didn't want you to do that. Because if you went into school and started playing, right. your pro eligibility is done until I think your junior year is, is how it used to work. Oh, wow. So you got you to gotta do that before you register. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So his whole thing leading up to drafting me was, are you going to give us a shot? Are you going to give us a shot? And we, you know, we kind of had to teeter the line between Toronto and schools. Because mm. they were like, well, you know, you're getting heavily recruited are you going to go pro or is this something that we can kind of bank on? So, you know, we got schools in one ear, pro in, in the other ear. Um, and they ended up like Toronto, they offered me some pretty good money at that point. I think it was like fifth round money. Uh, it was like 75 K to sign in 96 In 96 signing bonus. Um, but the way that the way that baseball works is <clears throat> at least back then you were getting an 850 a month salary. So you sign your signing bonus, 75K, but ongoing, you're getting $850 a a month, not a week, Wow, a month. 
And so a lot of cats, you know, during the day, they would have to work. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. And that's cool for you because you 18 years old, but right. for a 25 or 30-year-old right. with, with a couple a family, kids. Yeah. yeah, with a family, it's like, that's, you know, you got to make a decision. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we were thinking like, you know, okay, let's say you go in here, you go pro, and, you know, there's so many different levels before you even get to the majors. There's mm-hmm. rookie ball, low A, mid A, high A, double A, triple A, then majors. Oh, shit. So it's seven, seven uh, levels. <clears throat> and, um, you know, it's like, yo, if you get, what if you get injured? What happens? Then you're out. And then you're 19, 20, 21 years old with no school credits at all. You got to start over. So um, at the time, I mean, a lot of people don't know. I mean, baseball programs don't have a whole lot of scholarship money to just toss around like a basketball or football. Mm. So I wasn't getting a lot of full scholarship offers. I got one from uh, University of Detroit. And I got another one from Western Kentucky. And I didn't want to stay at the crib. So that's where I went. I went to Western Kentucky. And they saw me because I had played a tournament, played in a tournament at West at Western Kentucky's field mm. um, like a, a month prior, like in June of 96. So you played for Western Kentucky? I played in, my, I played in a summer league. Summer league, okay. That went down there. And apparently, I guess, one, of, one or two of the coaches was there. So you, you, you accepted an offer from Western Kentucky? Yep. And you, you, and you went there and you played for that club there. Yep. Yep. So once I accepted that offer, the pro offer is now off the table. And so I went and played Western Kentucky from uh, 96 to 2000. Now, this whole time, mm-hmm. you're just digesting music. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're not playing... What I, but, but, but one thing did happen in between that time, and that was, one, I stopped lessons maybe around, maybe around that same time, maybe around 88, 89, 90, somewhere around there. So like freshman in high school, no, middle, uh, middle school. school. Yeah, okay. so like fifth grade, sixth grade, somewhere around there. I can't even really pinpoint it. And what ended up happening from there was I learned how to play by ear. And when I learned to play by ear, that's when it got fun. And so that's when that's when the passion for playing music started. And as I was like, you were playing baseball. Yep. I okay. was like 11. Okay. I was like 11, learning to play by ear. Because um, I remember, you know, picking out like Jodeci songs. Um, uh, I had a old, I had a uh, Michelle A's first first album. Like I was picking up that stuff and you know you play it for your friends and watch their reaction it's like oh shit like something's happening here and I just kept that in my back pocket because even in college like I didn't have I didn't have my keyboard down there um, maybe until my junior year and um, what I would do was after you know in between classes like if I had class morning classes if I had a couple hours I would go to the um, the arts building okay and they had piano rooms and I would just go in there and see if one of the piano rooms was open and if it wasn't I'd go ask for the key and open one up and play until I had to go to practice and that's how I would kind of practice during like my freshman and sophomore year 
So you weren't, you were just playing what you heard. Mm -hmm. You weren't necessarily making your own stuff at that time. Not really. Um, I had a, um, let me see, my freshman year of high school, 92, my father bought me a, my first keyboard, which was a uh, Proteus, I can't think of the, the, the uh, model. Proteus keyboard, and then he brought me, bought me a uh, sequencer, which is a brother sequencer. I'd have to look it up. Okay. Um, and what I would do was, my training was basically recreating songs off the radio. So like, for example, the All Night Long remake by Mary J, Mary J Blige, I did that. And, you know, learn, you know, learn how to sequence, learn how to, you know, learn about song structure, hmm. learn about, you know, intro, verse, hook, verse, hook, change, you know, learn about different stuff. Like, oh, that, so that goes there. And that happens in a lot of these different songs. Interesting. You saw a pattern. Yeah. I would do that with, you know, with R&B and hip hop songs. So I would go in and recreate them. Um, it sounded like whatever, because I mean, I was using everything from keyboard, the keyboard stock sounds. Yeah. A um, couple of them sounded close. Uh, maybe if I listened to them now, I'd be like, no, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded close to me then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and your ear in 90, your ear in 90 is probably different than your ear, you know, yeah, now. Very much so. But it was still good. Yeah. Because, like, you know, even when I listen to songs now, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I remade that joint, you know, as, as practice. And I ended up taking all the joints and putting them on a, on a cassette tape. So I still have the tape. No shit. Of my, my, my keyboard creations. And then right before I went to, to, to college, that's when I started making my own stuff. Okay. And I was like, you know, but it would be sparse. It'd be like, you know, just maybe one here, maybe one the next year. And, you know, because I was like, let me make one before I go to school. So I could play it for cats, yeah, yeah, and see what they, you know, see what they think, because um, that, you know, at that time, you know, I kind of I needed that validation on my on my music. I don't give a shit now, but like right. then, you know, that to start up was like, yo, do I have something or should I just, you know, keep it at baseball? So you go to school, mm -hmm. play baseball. Still messing around with the music. Baseball's done. You out of school in what year? 2000. Okay. So the majority of your time and energy has been spent on this one specific mm -hmm. thing. When do you make the shift to music? Pretty much, pretty much the week of. No shit. Uh uh. Cause I'm you know, I'm realizing like after we get back, I think we had a um where were we? Were we in was it New Orleans? I wanna say we were in the Sunbelt tournament that year. I think mm. we were in the Sunbelt tournament the last two or maybe three years of my career. Um and when we played that last game and came back to try to figure out, you know, if we qualified at all for any type of college world series and then we didn't hear nothing. I just remember, I remember leaving the locker room. I didn't really say nothing to nobody. Cause I like my senior year, I was mad as fuck because I had been a starter for my first three years. Okay. Um, my last year, you know, I was a, I was a graphic design major. So hmm. 
all of my art classes, a lot of my art classes that I needed to graduate were in the afternoon. And so I remember um, approaching my, my coach before the semester even happened and was like, yo, you know, a lot of my, my uh, classes that I need to graduate pretty much on time are in the afternoon, which is directly in conflict baseball. with baseball. Um, you know, a lot of times our practice, if we had practice, we would start at one o'clock mm -hmm. and the classes I would need would be like 1 30, 2 o'clock, 3 30, you know, something like that. And so he and I had worked something out to where I would go down to practice early, hit with a coach, feel with a coach, do, you know, do drills, you know, with a coach independently, Yeah. start with the team and then go until my class starts. And I was like, cool. So this all works. I'm like, cool, you know, I'm, I'm, that's what's up. We, we can work this out. So the first, you know, opening game, opening day comes, and I'm sitting on the bench. And I'm like, okay, it's just one game, whatever. Whole series sitting on the bench. Oh, wow. And so, like, I just started getting this resentment, man. And, and you know, it was already, being in Kentucky is already a culture shock. <laughs> I go from playing in Detroit, all black team, we're, we're like this. Yeah. Even to this day, a lot of us are like this. Um, to going to Kentucky and like it's just me and another black dude on the team who I'm still super close with. Um, but like sophomore, junior year, I was the only black dude on, on the team. And in my senior year, it was me and another freshman that they had brought in. And it's like, you know, most of my day is spent with these white guys who don't know nothing about me at all. Um, you know, I remember them asking, like, my roommate all kinds of wild shit. It's like, so what's it like rooming with him and all this kind of... I'm like, nigga, what? He would be telling me, me, me and him still cool. Like, we still close. That's my man. Like, he... That's he, funny. Like, yeah, he would be he would be like, yeah, such and such asked me so-and-so about you. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, am I not human? Like, what the fuck is you talking and about? And you were probably their first exactly. close 100%. interaction with 100%. 100%. a black dude, a black yeah. person. Shit. Yeah. 100%. Yep. So it was, it was already a weird, yeah. you know, transition anyway. And then, like, at, you know, but, you know, I see I'm on the bench and I'm like, this about to be a regular thing? Oh yeah, I'm I'm checking out. I'm pretty much check, checking out because I'm not connected to a lot of you cats on the team anyway. And yeah, so that was your that was your senior year. That was my senior year. And when that joint stopped, you, I walked out the locker room. I didn't say shit to nobody. And then you start on the music. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cause by that time, by that time I had my keyboard there already. I had my sequencer there, and I started experimenting. Now, there are a lot of people who say they don't need nobody, mm -hmm. and this is kind of like how they move and the energy that they give off, and watching some of the footage of you and how you kind of started and really began taking off was it almost felt like it was an accident in a way from what I was saying but there were people 
in your life mm-hmm. that were really pivotal to connecting certain dots to kind of like get you to um, the next phase of who you would ultimately end up becoming and all of that kind of thing. Right. And one of those people was, I believe, uh, J, JB or JD, he's a DJ in Atlanta. John Doe? Yeah. Yeah. You were working on music. Mm-hmm. What album was, because this is your first album that you have worked on out of school, right? Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that piece. All right. So, like, I was just working, because, like, I was immersing, like, just drowning myself in music. Um, Anything that JD had produced, anything that Pete Rock had produced, anything that Premier had produced, I was just, I need, I need all of it. And this is the time when Napster broke too. Hmm. So, <laughs> so you got it all. I got it all. I, I can't, I can't even front. Um, I did end up buying a lot of that shit though. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Nah, but <laughs> no, because you know them Napster copies were some bullshit. Yeah. Some of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just fully just taking all all this music in and um you know in turn making my own so a lot of a lot of my early stuff I always joke and say you know it sounded like you know just somebody trying to bite Dilla um which it kind of was um you know that was basically my musical idol at the time and um what I would do is I would make these tapes and John Doe used to, he was, he was, a uh, he was my classmate. Like he went to Western Kentucky. I, oh, okay. I, I met him through another classmate of mine who was in one of my, um, graphic design classes. And he was like, yo, he was like, you need to meet, you know, you need to meet John and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, cool. And the crazy thing was, was me and John maybe worked on music one time. Oh, wow. When we lived down the street from each other. We didn't start working again for real, for real, until he moved to Atlanta, and then I'm taking trips to Atlanta to, you know, to get into the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would do is I would make these these tapes and send it to him, just as an ear. Check them out, see what you think. Did you you weren't thinking about necessarily trying to break or anything? You're just making music yeah, at I'm this point. Yeah, I'm just making music because I I love to do it. Okay. Yeah, it was like you tell me that was a strictly for the love part of my life. Making no money. Nope. Just making music. Mm-hmm. What? So you send the you send the tape to John Doe. Mm-hmm. Then what? And the the feedback was positive. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, shit. Let me make something else. <laughs> send that back down. And same thing. And then he's telling me about you know, somebody else who likes it may want one. I'm like, what? What the fuck? And so I'm like, all right. So I ended up making um, the first, the, well, the first album, uh, CDR as hell. It's called uh, A Bliss. A Bliss? A Bliss, yeah. Okay. And so it was, it, I don't even think the joints had names. I think it was like just beat number, blah, 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 beat number. And you know, I put a couple remakes on there, and I think I remade like "What a Fool Believes" and um, something else, uh, maybe something for Aaliyah, because I think she had just just died in the in the plane crash. And um, so I sent that down to him, 
And he was like, yo, man, he was like, um, so my man, my man Eddie Meeks, shout, shout to Meeks. He was like, he want to use this joint for our, our album. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. So now I'm feeling like a for real producer because yeah. I'm like, you know, my name's about to be in, in the credits. Like, mm. that's huge. That's a huge, that's a huge deal. That's the shit I go through when I'm looking, you know, when I'm listening to an album. Like, I'm going through that shit and, like, I'm paying attention to who produced what. Liner note reader. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. that's how you discover and connect dots between mm -hmm. different projects and artists. Um, so they ended up using a joint on there. So my first production credit uh, was on the Prophetics album, High Risk, and it was called Quitters. And um, that shit was so crazy. Like, I, I planned it for my moms, and, like, she's like, she was like, you know, I don't really understand what he's saying, but <laughs> it sounds good. And I'm like, well, well, shit, that's all I need. Do you, you know? go by, were you going by Zoe back then, too? Yep. Okay. Exclamation point? Yep. Okay. And the only reason why I did that was because I added the exc exclamation point one so it wouldn't be playing, because I'm like, you know, there's a ton of Zoes out here. Right. Let me add the exclamation point. And plus, it was a, it was a nod to uh, graffiti writing. Cool. Anybody. Like, oh, I got you. Would, would, I got you. Know, you. Tag some shit and they add the exclamation point. I'm like, I'm going to do that. Got you. Because, like, my handwriting is, I mean, my handwriting borderline looks like tagging. Okay. So I was like, let me just add that shit on there just to stylize it. And it's it stuck. Here we are 20 some years later. So, what happens? You're, when did you decide to do that first album, The Zoe Presents? Um, well, by that time, by that time, I had done like five of the CDR joints. And I was just, it was just, it was just a collection of shit that I had done up to that point. So a Bliss was like 2001 and I like, I was so hyped up off of that to take my music, put it on CD, and play it in my car, like, that was the, that was the shit to yeah. me. Yeah. I did that shit. I think I finished it and played it. I was still in, in Bowling Green at the time, Kentucky. Okay. Because um, I was taking, like, some preliminary courses for, to get an MBA, which I never got. And uh, I put that joint in the car and rode around. It was, like, 2, 3 in the morning. Rode around, played it twice. And I, I ended up going to Walmart. Like, I felt so good about this shit. I went, went to Walmart, and I got, like, a pack of, like, 20 mailers. And I was like, I'm about to make 20 CDs and send this shit off to 20 of my friends. And so that's what I did. I made 20 CDs, sent them off. I don't even know if these cats still have the, that original copy. You still got it? I still got it, yeah. Okay. I still got it. Um, but I was like, I'm gonna send this mug home. I'm gonna send it to my boy. I'm gonna send it to my homegirl. And, you know, just let, let them see. Like, cause at that point, everybody knew me for baseball. And I always, I always joke and say like, it's always a tough transition to go from, to get, to get people to follow you from sports to music. Yeah. Because it ain't always good. Yeah, it's not. And so I was like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna change, I'm gonna change that shit. I'm gonna change that narrative and, you know, Make sure that people know that this is this is for real, man. When I when I listen to your early stuff, there's some Dilla esque type stuff, mm -hmm. but you can tell that you're in there yeah. and that you're 
You're trying, you're, you're feeling your way around. You're trying different sounds. You're trying, you know, of different things to see what, what works. And it, mm-hmm. and, and, and there's a lot of, it's like 22 songs or something, or, or, or cause there's just yep. like a beat tape in a way, but, yeah. but, but the shit is so solid. Um, that you can tell that there's something there. Um, you take what's the name of the uh, Dil, uh, Zoe presents pro- passion, passion and definition. Passion and definition. Thank you. I don't know why I keep wanting to say process. Um, passion and definition. I feel like John Doe was like a very pivotal person to get you to that point that just kind of said, that kind of turned the lens back on you to say, you can do this shit. Mm -hmm. And here's proof. And it put the battery in your back and then you started really hunkering down and really getting into it more and more and more. 100%. Like when their album came out and I actually saw my name in the credits because like they had they had Doom on the album. I'm like, yo, I'm on the album with Doom. Wow. Not a song with Doom, but on the same album. Yeah. Like that was that became my goal. I was like, I need I want more production credits on other people. And so he had even, you know, John had passed my CD to other like let other cats hear him. So another cat, this cat named Rubik's, so you know, I'm still good with now. Uh, another cat named Jax, rest in peace, who, like, I remember Jax had, had called me and left this long message, and he was, like, going off. He was like, yo, he's out of New York. He's yo, B, yo, this shit is crazy. Like, <laughs> and that was, like, the first time I had heard, like, somebody really going nuts off of my music. And so we ended up doing something together. Me and Rubik's ended up doing something together with, with John, and um, I was just like, yo, like, this is it. You know, at that at that point... At that point, I wanted to be, you know, a hip hop producer, and like, you know, I'm, I'm a, it, it's just as easy as me making beat CDs yeah. and passing them out, and then getting folks to rap on it. But the thing is that nobody told me that a lot of niggas is broke, so <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we all we going to be doing is spinning our wheels in, in a lot of cases. So, um, yeah, a, a crazy thing ended up ended up happening. Um, through my man, um, through my man Nick Speed, who's a producer at the crib uh, in Detroit, I met Elzai. Okay. He had played one of them, one of them five joints, one of them five CDs he had played for Elzai, and I think it was the last one. I think it was the fifth one. And El was like, "Who is that?" He was like, "Man, we got to get him in the in the studio." Like he was trying to get one of the joints off the album for Slum Village. And I was like, word, because at that point, like, you know, Slum and Jay, like, these dudes is God's to us. Right, right. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. And so we, you know, we ended up, ended up meeting. Um, matter of fact, he had came, uh, both of them had came to the crib. Hmm. And uh, crowded, uh, the crowded, crowded room, crowded room studio. studio. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and um, he gave me this CD that had a really rough version of closer hmm and if i remember right i think i still got it i think i still got that version my bad it's a um it was just 
It was just by, no, was it by 10's verse? I know it was Elzai's verse and maybe by 10's verse, but really nothing else. There wasn't no hook on it, no hmm. nothing. And he was just like, can you replay this sample? And it was the Don't Say Goodnight Ozzy Brothers sample, which ironically I had remade on one of my other beat CDs. That's crazy. And I was like, yeah, I, you know, I popped it in and the ro- I turned the roads on and he started, you know, started playing and I figured it out in like 10 seconds. And he was like, man, you got to come to the studio. I was like, bet. And so I think the following like Monday or Tuesday, I was in Barack Studios uh, meeting T3 and RJ uh, Rice and playing on, playing keys for Closer. You're on that joint? Like yeah. the, 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 the. I'm on, I'm on, I, I play keys the studio? On, on Come Closer by Slum Village on Detroit Deli. Now, the funny thing is, is that I'm not credited on the joint. Okay. And the reason why, I mean, I'm going to remember this shit because this was the first check I ever got in music. It was $300. They was like, oh, you played on it? Cool. Cut, cut a check right then and there. I was like, this all I got to do? I'll be back tomorrow and see what y'all <laughs> need. And, um. Yeah, it, it, you know, had it had in the note, it had, you know, replay, Isley, blah, blah, blah. And um, like maybe about a year or so later, when the album actually came out in 04, I remember th- at that point, me and um, DJ House Shoes, House Shoes had like literally worked at all of the record stores in the area. So he was like, yo, he was like, you know, come come to the crib, kick it. I'll get all your shit in, in these stores. I was like, bet. So I would go over there, kick it with him. We listen to music. And then we would go to different record stores and he'd get my records. The definition, definition joint? The Passion and Definition in different stores. So it would be in, in like Melodies and Memories on the east side, Record Time, both, I think both locations, uh, Jazz and Jazz, where he worked at currently at that time. And... Um, we went into uh, this spot. It was like a, I think it was like a warehouse spot called Angot. And um, Detroit Deli Vinyl was sitting out there. It just came out. And I was like, word the fuck up, man. Looking through it. And Thinking I you gonna see your name. I was like, that'd be fucking crazy if, if my name wasn't in here. I don't even know why I said it. I was like, that'd be crazy. And sure enough, look, and the keys was credited to somebody else. I was like, nigga, are you kidding me? And so that really pushed me, you know, because, I mean, a lot of, I think a lot of Detroit niggas got a chip on their shoulder. Yeah. And that tripled my chip because I was just like, yo, you know, at this point, you need to be doing this shit bigger or you need to be doing it better or you need to be doing it at somebody. You know, think of think of somebody that you want to go at and, and do it. Like I was taking my sports competitive mentality and bringing it to music. That's what's dope about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the, the ethic of the work ethic uh-huh. associated oh, yeah. and transferring that, because oh, one yeah. of the things Terrell Tall Black says about you, like you, you are, you got a motherfucking framework, mm-hmm. you know, that's different than some other creatives who like to just, ah, mm-hmm. it's like, nah, this is the box and yeah. we, and, and not box in terms of creativity, but right. just in terms of the focus. time allotment, the focus, the mm-hmm. attention on this, on yeah. this thing. Because one thing, I mean, one thing sports sports will do is t- 
teach you discipline, mm-hmm. discipline on time, what it's, uh, you know, how important it is, other people's time, like all of that stuff. And then you take that and you put it into music. And it's like, yo, even, you know, live performances, um, you know, when we're on stage with somebody, someone else or we're opening for someone else or, you know, we want to annihilate them. Yeah. We friends. We yeah. cool always. But man, we don't want you to be comfortable coming coming on the stage after us. Yeah. And that's to me, that's a, that's, you know, my that's my sports background. Yeah. Like, you know, I we used to play. Uh, in the city, you know, in the city, it's like, you know, you know, cats on each of these teams, which means you want to beat them worse. You know what I mean? Like when you play against your friends, you want to whoop their ass. Um, I'm gonna hold off on that piece. John Doe. House shoes. Mm -hmm. Getting passion and definition in the spaces. You, you do a remix but little brother mm-hmm. it makes its way to Fonte unbeknownst to you you end up meeting Fonte and giving him a passionate definition CD Introducing yourself, saying, oh, and he remembers you as the person who did the remix, which kind of solidified you as somebody that he needs to remember. Talk about that point in your life, because what I'm. When I look when I when I look at your story, dude, just so there's a lot of love. Mm. There's a lot of motherfucking support. Mm-hmm. It's like a community, and there's a lot of it, it, there are things that I feel transpired in your life that were so beautiful and meaningful that actually get you to a certain point that I feel is reflected in a lot of your music that I don't that I didn't understand until I actually started digging. Right. And so, what I really am trying to highlight is the relationships that you that you have that have been afforded to you through your hard work man and your dedication and your love for this shit and your respect for the craft and and how people pick up on that and want to actually connect with you and support in that way um, that I don't think a lot of people I feel are just in this very transactional kind of relationship with most things in their right. life. What am I going right. to, I'm only going to do this thing if I'm going to get something from it. And yeah. your life is just, a, I feel, especially your musical career at least, is, is like a constant reciprocation of something that you've already decided to put out into the world. It just so happened to come back to you in this dope-ass impactful, meaningful way that gets you to the next point right. and the next point and the next point. That's a lot, but you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. Because Fonte, I feel like, is one of those people that you connected with that kind of like shifted, but it was through 
work that you had already done before that even put you in a position to right. have that relationship. Right. Okay. Yeah. Fonte said he hated motherfuckers doing Little Brother remixes. Mm -hmm. Most of the ones that he heard sucked. And he said he didn't, let me rephrase it, because I'm, 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 it's not that he hated the remixes, he hated the bad ones. He hears yours that was actually good. Mm -hmm. um, what happened, how did the relationship, once you gave him the Passion and Definition album, he went back and listened to it. What happened after that? How did you guys to connect to actually start doing music? Um, that was in like September of 05, if I'm remembering right. It was after Little Brother show in Ann Arbor at the Blind Pig. So I met a lot of cats that night. I met uh, D Brock, met Darren Brockington that night because he was cold blooded. Um, I may have met Pooh, I can't remember. But, uh, you know, I was basically there to meet, to meet Fonte because through the, uh, the good, the good message boards back then, the, the lawn, um, Justice Lee mess, message board, I heard that he had heard the remix. I had no clue. I had put the remix out. I had actually done two. I had done whatever you say and I did the way you do it. And I put it on redefinition. The only reason why I started was doing remixes was because I started hearing a lot with passion and definition. Like, you know, passion and definition is dope. But like, I love to hear, you know, what you do with people singing and blah, blah, blah. So um, house shoes again, like he would pass me 12 inches with acapellas on them. I'm like, yo, take this one, take this one, take this one. So I just had a bunch of 12 inches and I'm just picking through and, um, you know, doing remixes so I can show what I could do with actual vocals. And so, um, yeah, he heard, he heard the joint. Um, I think he had told me that he had had some of my music in his iPod already, which makes sense to me now because knowing Fonte knows, you know, you know that he has his ear to the street, mm. his ear to the ground for new artists and new music, always, 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 always even more so now. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so looking back, like that makes so much sense to me. Um, so that was like September. You know, I would I would call every now and then because I was like, I'm going to call him. And, you know what I mean? He ain't going to pick up. Like, you know. So y'all exchanged numbers? Yeah, we exchanged info. Okay. Night, and, um, you know, called him. And he was he would actually pick up and shit. I'm like, oh, shit. Um, and I think I, I passed him something to maybe rhyme over. And he was like, you know, he was like, that shit is dope. He was like, but I, I don't have nothing to add to it. I was like, okay, cool. Um. And it was cool because, you know, just I think I feel like a lot of folks would take that and just be like, man, fuck that nigga, man, blah, blah, blah. But it was like, oh, OK, cool. You know, it wasn't nothing disrespectful. It was it was just he was like, I don't I can't do nothing on it. Yeah. Word up. All right. And so um, I don't even remember what. Why I hit him up to do this, but I was working on just visiting the original one, the first one. <clears throat> doing a, re a remake of Stepping Out by Joe Jackson. And um, I asked him if he would sing the hook on it. And <laughs> he was like, bet, send it to me. So I sent it to him. That was like at the end of the year. That was like December 05. Sent it to him. Maybe about a week later, if that, he sent me the, the hooks. I was like, get the fuck out of here. Wow. You know what I mean? Like rap, rapping ass Fonte is singing these hooks on 
stepping out, I'm like, yo, this shit is crazy. Don't nobody got this. Mm-hmm. And so we put it out, you know, stepping out featuring Percy Miracles at the time. What's it called? Percy Miracles. Per- his, his, you know what I mean? The, 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 alter, the alter ego joint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it was cool. It was like, he, you know, he wrote like a little endorsement, you know, for me to put on the album sticker. Um, and I, That was, was when folks was doing that back in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That shit's cold. Yep. And then uh, I pressed up a thousand of them joints on vinyl and um, a distributor in Japan bought half of them. So whatever I paid for was already paid. Nice. So the rest of it was, was, was profit. I was like, shit, this, this works. And as soon as that I put that out was when I moved to Maryland. When did y'all get into the studio together the first time? Oh, man. That didn't happen until um, together, both of us in the, in the studio. That didn't happen until Sunstorm time. That didn't happen until maybe 08. Okay. But we, had, we started working for real. Well, I mean, stepping out. But then right after that, he had hit me to do um, the Stevie remake for um, Leave It All Behind, uh, If She Breaks Your Heart. Oh, was that on the... Um the original was that on the joint that we're there with all this love mm-hmm. that's what is it on that okay cause that shit anyway. yeah the leave, leave it all behind album so he hit he hit me to do that and um i remember when he hit me i was like yo i got an idea for that shit already and i i ended up working it out and sent it back to him matter of fact did we work on hold on I may be talking out of order. We may have done Africa before that. That was hard. We may have done Africa right before that. Because at that point, like, for him to reach out, because I'm sitting there like, for him to reach out to me for foreign exchange, we had to improve a little bit more. Um, Yeah, I think at that point, we had already started, we'd already worked on the remake for Africa. uh, And, um, like, we had just, put that out free download, whatever. Um, I think on like the okay player boards and yeah. you know, folks was like tripping. Yeah. Yeah. And we was like, Oh shit. Cause we had taken Africa and then we did like a second part where we just did our own little song at the end. And that's was the theme of what became the eighties joint. Like we would do remakes, but then we would break off and then do our own shit and make it really our own. So like after that, we was like, man, we got to, these niggas is really buzzing right now. Like, that's, that's kind of crazy. So yeah. we was like, man, we got to go left, man. We got to, like, we got to do, like, the whitest shit ever. And so we was like, let's do Take On Me. Whereas, <laughs> like, you know, that shit is like, you can do the Carlton and that shit, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. But, like, the thing, you know, as you know, you know, growing up when we did, you know, we didn't have hip-hop 24-7. Nah. We listened to everything. Simply Red. Yeah. Yeah. All so like, the bangles. Right. So everybody our age... We'll hear and be able to sing with it, dance to it, sing it. Everybody remembers the video, which mm-hmm. was groundbreaking at the time. And so we was like, we did that. And that shit got crazy reception. So we was like, yo, we got three joints now. We got Africa, we got Stepping Out, and we got Take On Me. We might as well do an album. And so we started on the 80s album. And I think at that point, you know, we had a lot of trust, particularly him and me, and, you know, my musical output. 
And so he was like, you know, we gonna do um, If She Breaks Your Heart, which was off of the Jungle Fever soundtrack. And uh, I turned it around, I think that day. And um, it's like, yo, this is, this is crazy. He ended up getting uh, Yasra to sing on it. And I think he did Bags and then Nicolay did a second part where it kind of turned into kind of a, uh, like some Latin jazz type of shit. Shit and, was beautiful, bro. And it was just, it was fun. Like I didn't, at that point, I didn't know. Like I didn't know, I hadn't heard anything from Leave It All Behind, hadn't heard a single note. But it's interesting to hear Leave It All Behind and then hear that song in context and then the way that it fits. I'm just like, yo, like niggas was really locked at that point. And I think that we definitely saw something in each other the way it was like a, not only a brotherhood, but like a trust. Uh, same with Tall Black. It's the same thing. Yeah. You know, we see like it's a it's very much a trust to where I can, you know, when you get somebody that you're working with regularly and you can just hand it off and you can go do 30 other things over here while they handling that and you have no worries about it. Like you in a wonderful place. Do you like creating in that way now? Yes. Over than over just being so. When I said multi-instrumentalist in the beginning, that's a literal thing, dude. How many instruments do you play? Um, I guess four. Um, keys mainly. Okay. Bass, some drums, some guitar. But I've, I've actually gigged on drums before. I've no never, shit? I've never gigged on guitar, and I've gigged on bass. Huh. So now you like pulling in those you you play it for the for the for the for the shell of the song right and then you go and you pull in other people to play on them mm -mm. so you'll play the whole joint okay yep um, in, in most cases okay like now you know i'll definitely i have no problem delegating i have, I have no problem pulling it particularly on guitar like guitar is that's my weakest instrument so if I'm hearing something and I'm not able to actually play it, I'll call somebody else to do it. But for the most part, probably 95% of the time, that's me playing. So, I got house shoes, I got John Doe, mm -hmm. I got Fonte. Wajid is another one. Triple P. Mm-hmm. I did not know that you played on that goddamn song, bro. Cause that album is it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, he's like a legend, bro, to me. I never met the dude before. I know y'all got connects and all of that, but he's one of them type of dudes where I feel like I would just be geeking out over like just in a real, not like in no like crazy type, but like, mm -hmm. yo, like that's. Yeah, and he a solid guy. Everybody says nothing but like awesome things about he him. Solid. He a solid guy, man. And that's the thing, like when I, when I started messing with Wajid, cause he was one of the last ones in Detroit that I needed to meet. He was one of the last ones. And then when we met, <laughs> we met at his, at his loft, crazy enough. Um, and we just we just chopped it up, chopped it up for like two hours. And this is before you played the you played on that joint. Chopped it up, 
and um, he had a Rhodes. So as we're talking, like I'm just kind of messing around on the Rhodes. We'd still, you know, conversing or whatever. And he was like, yo, man, I got something. Hold on. And he pulls up. It's literally all, it's nothing but drums and Tiambe Lockhart singing. No, nothing else. That's crazy. And uh, he played it like maybe one time through and I figured where everything needed to be. He was like, man, we need to record that. I was like, bet. So I think I maybe recorded my chords first and it recorded like the kind of the bass part. And he was like, man, this shit is fucking crazy. He was like, I'm about to send this to, to Ubiquity, I'm about to send this to the label and see what's up. And so he hit me later. He was like, um, yeah, they saying it's about to be the first single. And at that point, like I had already had like just so many, so much disappointment. I was like, yeah, okay, we'll, you know, we'll see. And sure enough, it was the first single. I remember going to record time and picking up the 12 inch and looking on it. And not only was it keys, but keys credit, it was you a co-production co yeah. credit, which Ubiquity took away from me later. Why? It's on some whole shit. Whole shit. But you do got the you do got the vinyl that has you your yeah. name on it. It's co yep. okay. I got it. I got it hanging up in the, hanging up on the wall. But like, Jeed has always been solid. I, w I always look to to YG. So like. Knowing Jeed and knowing how he operated, and I'm just like, you know, everything he was saying was coming true. So I was like, you know, I, I fuck with that. I don't everything know. he was saying, like what? Like, this was going to be the first single. Oh, or, okay. You know, when you play on this, it's going to be on the album. You know, everything that he was saying was actually happening. It was, okay. Which, at the time, a lot of shit, was rare. you know, we're going to take you on tour. We're going to do what? Mm, and none of it happened. So I see a cat like YG and then run into Fonte, who was exactly the same way. Same with Nicolay. Both of them really, really solid. Cause like, you know, the fact that we've been friends and pretty much, I mean, we family mm -hmm. for damn near 20 years and doing business together. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a tough line to kind of manage sometimes. Um, but it's much easier when folks are transparent with you and when, you know, what they say actually happens. Like you're more apt to do business with them again. Yeah. And so, you know, with the FE music thing and, and um, you know, I actually get, I get monthly statements. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 all, it's all transparent. And I try, I do the same thing with me and Tall Black. It's like, yeah. yo, we, we are, you know, we're new, but we're super close. Yeah. And we brothers and we family. But it's like, you know, I wanna make sure I'm transparent with him. Just like Jeed and mm -hmm. Tay and Nick, you know, was transparent with me. Cause that's, you know, and then I introduced Tall Black to Wajid and the same thing. So it's like, you know, let's get all these cats. That's beautiful. Together and, and you know. So. You had um, you have a daughter mm -hmm. and you were married before. Yeah. OK. Your daughter is 12. Um. Was all of this music stuff like taking a toll on your marriage in some kind of way as you were going through all of that? Um, yes, I would kind of say, yeah. Okay. I would kind of say, yeah. Um, I definitely tried not to let it hinder anything on the father side though. Um, 
you know, even even now, right. you know, even with traveling or whatever, whatever, you know, if I'm not if I'm not with my daughter that day, then we're on FaceTime. You know, I got I we've got to we've got to talk. We let's talk the day out. How was your day? How was this? What happened? You know, let me know what's going on, so that it's not you know just a will daddy be back type right. situation. Right. And you know, sometimes he come back, sometimes he don't. So you know, always a consistency. I wanted to see consistency. I wanted to see, you know, me coming through mm-hmm. and staying there by her side and making sure that. You know her back has gotten, and you know I'm I'm here to uh, to help and support, and you know whatever she needs. Um, she's I mean she she's a daddy's girl, man. I uh I forgot where we were. Um, I was telling on one of the other podcasts, I would if I would have ever had a kid, I always envisioned having a little girl mm-hmm. when I was. When I was, you know, some dudes want to have a son, and they I was not. like, nah, I want, you want a girl. I think the I want a daughter. The, yeah, they the best. And they the best. And I'm, I'm, I'm very sensitive to like dudes who have daughters, and kind of like what that relationship is like, and just kind of like being a, an observer of it. And I think one of the, I can't remember what event we were at, but I was in the back with y'all, and your daughter called. And you were FaceTime, and it was almost like y'all had y'all were having dinner at the same time because it was before y'all were eating before the show. And I was sitting there listening to the conversation, not not listening to the conversation, but listening more so connecting with the energy that was going on between you and your daughter. And I was like, damn, this just feels like a real natural. And I was like, man, I like the way that I like that. That's some beautiful shit. It was like you didn't ignore the call. Yeah. Um, you were eating and you just had that time. Like you knew like it was almost like this is what we do. Yeah. This is what this is, and let's have it. And um and I, I remember witnessing that and being like, Oh, that's very dope. Yeah. That's very dope. Yeah. It's like at that, you know, at that at that time, you know, my attention is you. Yeah. And I want you to know that. I want you to feel that. So that, you know, if you later on, which I know, you know, these teenage years are coming. Yeah. Later on, when, <laughs> when you call and it's like, you know, I may be looking at the phone like, what the fuck is going on now? But either way, when I pick up the phone, it's me and you. Has your, has your music changed or the way you express yourself through music changed being a father? Mm. Only in the sense that I think that now having a daughter or having a piece of you out in the world, you know, you just got one more person to impress, I feel like. Mm. So I, I feel like, you know, if she, I want her to be, I want her to be just as proud of my catalog as I am. And I think that she is, cause like she'll come back and she'd be like, you know, my teacher played uh, Skybreak in class today. Which I'm like, her teacher would never even know if she didn't tell her. Yeah. If she wasn't proud of, you know, the output or, you know, whatever. So yeah, now, yeah, yeah. you know, now that she's old enough, you know, I include her on, on the songs. Like, uh, Be My Fiasco's Caramel, she's helping me with the hand claps. Um, on, um, <clears throat> on the ride, she recorded, like, all of my talk box parts. She sat in, sat in a chair. You know, I showed her how to, you know, click this, click this. 
and that's record. So I was like, you know, I need a new track, new track. She click, add. click. Now she get she got credit. You give her credit, or did sure you pull did. a ubiquity? As, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not pulling over ubiquity. I'm not. <laughs> I'm, not <laughs> I'm not pulling no come closer. Okay, she gets her credit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's dope. Yep. So she got so you know uh, every. And then on, on Forefront, she spoke at the end of uh, Four Moms about her grandmother. So, nice. you know, all of my albums, I want to kind of bring her in some kind of way. That's beautiful. So that, you know, if she, she has not be proud of my shit, she can be proud of her yeah. contribution. So, you know, I asked her, you know, what's your, what's your favorite song on Abstraction? She was like, The Ride. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, shit. <laughs> that joint is... Um, What's with you in one word album titles, bro? Um, you know, I, it wasn't really a thing until maybe Man Made. Um, I don't know. It it just seems just really straight to the point. Um, I like it. I think yeah. it's I think it's dope. But I'm good because when you look, then you look down, you say do 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 do, and I'm like, oh okay. Yep. Like is he is he trying? Is like not not trying, but. It's almost creating your own series. So like with Sunstorm, Man Made, Skybreak, Forefront, all one word, two syllable, you know, compound words, I guess, you know, made up. Um, where the first, you know, each word is capitalized. So it's like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a series. Whereas it's, you know, those four are like the producer compilation joints, solo producer compilation. Um, and then after Forefront, in that, that's done. Cool. Let's move on and do something else. Because at that point, I was going to do uh, an album with Tall Black. Then I was going to do an album with this person and the album with this person. But then the album would, and our working relationship hit off so well Yeah. that it was just like, shit, well, me and you are now a production team and we have to now do blah, blah, blah. So that's why even on abstractions, if you look on the on the cover art, you know, we don't have none of our logos, like the Zoe logo's not on there, Tall Black's logo's not on there. It's just straight <laughs> up, you know, because it's it's pretty much a new, a new thing, a new series. Abstraction starts here. This is album number one. And then, you know, when we do something else the next time, you know, it may continue that, you know, it's it's something like that to where it's just, you know, it's it kind of differentiates different parts of your your career. You are, for all, intents, for all intents and purposes, independent, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that's deliberate. Very. What does being independent mean to you? Because I'm sure there's a cost and a benefit oh boy. for both, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a cost and benefit for being independent. Mm -hmm. What... Why did you? Why are you? Why did you choose to stay independent? And what did, what do you feel you it, it, it cost you and you gained? Um, the main reason is because you know you can make whatever music you want to at whatever time. There's nobody telling you what not to do, what not to create. You can do whatever you want, and you know if you want to dip off and do music for Sherman Showcase, you can. Mm -hmm. without having to sign off any labels you know you ain't got to do none of that shit so it's like you're 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 free creatively completely and totally free creatively and as a creator 
that's what everybody strives right. for. Um, on top of that, shoot, a lot of folks that I know who are signed, they trying to get off their fucking label. So, and just seeing that pattern, I'm just like, well, I don't want to be bound in, into yeah. that. Uh, particularly in 2022, where you don't necessarily need to be signed in the first place. Direct to consume. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's a, it's very much, this is the most organic music that you're getting. You know, straight from my mind to your ears, pretty much. No but you don't have the machine. You don't have the machine. So, you know, we're, we're, my career has been a slow burn. That's still a slow burn. Um, you know, if you go into a circle of people and you be like, yo, you heard this Zoe album? Like, who? Or maybe, maybe one person to be like, yeah, I may have heard blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, you know, we're still working against that and getting music to masses. And it's funny enough, like, the my most popular song is probably <laughs> not on any of my albums. It's fucking Drop It Low for Jesus. What? Yeah. The Sherman Showcase shit. I ain't never heard that. Yeah, it's 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 Sherman Showcase is, is a uh, is a parody is a parody show. It's a it's a show that kind of parodies like Soul Train and, and Solid Gold and all that stuff. It's like a parodies these dance shows. Drop it low with Jesus. Drop it low for Jesus. For Jesus. Yeah. Oh yeah. shit. Yep. And it's 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 super crazy. It works in the context of the show. And, you know, they, they, it was unique because they took the music from the show and released it as an album. Oh. And so, and it's funny because it came out the same day Forefront came out. So I was like, yo, I got two albums coming out at the same time. Um, but Drop It Low, you know, of course, judging by the title, of course, that gets all the attention. And what it is is that, you know, folks see the video for it or the, you know, the show clip from it and they just go off. They're like, oh man, this is black. They, they going to hell and blah, blah, blah. Man, and I'm just like, yo, even... it's, a, it's, a, it's a parody. Like, relax. It's, it's a parody. And that's your biggest song? Probably. Probably most popular. But the thing is, is that nobody knows I did it. I did the music. Fonte helped to uh to write it and yeah are you mm, i don't want to say content but the slow burn is something that i feel um everybody's not built for Absolutely not. And then, you know, that instant gratification mm -hmm. shit, you know, mm -hmm. that pushing a, mo a boulder up a hill kind of thing isn't something that most people are, are predisposed to subjecting themselves yeah. to. Shit, some days I ain't built for it. What keeps you going? Um, that's a good question. I still live to hear new music. Like I still live to make new good music. Um, shit that I want to hear. Cause it's like, it's nothing, it's, it's no feeling like, it's no feeling like that. You make a new jam and it's like, 
you play it, and you be like, man, this shit is fucking crazy. And then you stop it, shut everything down, come back the next day, and it sounds just as crazy as the day before. There's no feeling like that. That's how we felt, for example, like when we was doing um, uh, hold, uh, hold My Hand, mm. for example. Um, I remember me and Terrell, like that was like the third joint we had ever did together. And we was like, this shit is nuts. Even with no vocals, it was crazy. Like he would come through and I'd be like, yo, it was, it was the, the instrumental was called Woodward Ave, Woodward Avenue, which is, you know, street at the crib. So we would play, we was like, man, that shit sound like some stankin' lankin' pimp shit. <laughs> but we was like, when he was set up, I would pull it up and we'd play it. And it was only like two minutes long and I'd have to re keep restarting it. But I was like, yo, like we've got something with that one. And there's no, like, there's no feeling. There's no feeling like that because it's like you you created something from your head. Yeah. And, you know, even even better, we collaborated and created something. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I don't know. We I still chase that feeling. I still what? chase that feeling. Even on stage, we chase that feeling. When's the last time you felt that? Mm. Maybe with uh, if it wasn't with if it wasn't with connected, it was with um, Love Feels by uh, Be My Fiasco when we did that joint. Um, so it doesn't happen often. It doesn't happen often. I think we come close on stage. Because that's just another, you know, I think that that's, that's a feeling you chase and then when you capture it, you just try to keep it as much as possible while on stage. And like, it's almost a, almost a feeling of levitation. Mm -hmm. Where it's just like, you kind of you just, you, you've left for a second. Um, I know we've had that, that we talked off camera. We've had that at that, um, the Philly show that we did in January. Mm -hmm. We, yeah, we levitated a, a few times in that show. Um, the second show we did here in DC, um, at city winery in mm -hmm. July. And, uh, we left, we left the ground a few times in August in, uh, in Chicago. I, uh, you know, you hear people talk about catching the Holy Ghost, like at church and stuff, mm -hmm. bro. And I've never done, I've never had that kind of experience mm -hmm. in a church, bro. Mm -hmm. But I have had it mm -hmm. literally in this chair, mm -hmm. listening to music. Yeah. I've had it listening um, to the song y'all did. Uh, Great, nothing greater than the sun. I, mm -hmm. I, I lose the words, the, 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 the titles. Mm -hmm. But the words to that, the one joint, I, dude, I was standing up in the back and I was crying as mm -hmm. I was listening to that joint. And sometimes I can feel that in a conversation, bro, mm -hmm. and yeah. talking to somebody. Yep. And, it's, and it's so weird that a lot of what I felt I was doing when I would DJ or even with like music, there are parts of that 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 occur in a conversation, mm -hmm. 
that I feel really connected to. And it's one of the reasons why I, I kind of like talking and connecting with people is a form of that because we're creating a song in a way it's just true. by this energy and where it goes yeah. and you know where you want to go. You've got a shell, but you've got to leave room for imp imp improvisation. Right. Right. Um, Y'all are co-writers. Yeah. And, and it's a and it's a it's a beautiful thing, man, to see where two energies can take something mm -hmm. and what you do with it. And I'm finding and Terrell and I talk a lot about um, where we are, like in our creative journeys and how we process things or how we create. And, and what I find now is that there's, you know, when you're younger in it, you feel like you want to throw every motherfucking thing in there, every sound, every, let's go put this in, let's go put this in, let's go put this in. Mm -hmm. And then you find out like, oh, okay. Minimalism is just as a skill and yeah. talent associated yeah. with that. Like, what do you put in? Yeah. What do you leave out? When do you bring it in? How can you make this thing with the least amount of stuff yeah. as you can? The space, space is an instrument too. Space is an instrument. Mm -hmm. and, and how do you, you don't realize that, I think, early on when you're creating because you think a lot of creation is about what you put into it. Right. Um, right. Now, what you take out, and where? So, where are you in that? In that? In your creative process and determining like what you're doing with these things and what you're putting in and taking out and that sort of stuff. Um, I'm heavy into, and I think Terrell will tell you this too. Like, just collaborating. I think collaborating saved my career or I guess not my career, but shit, maybe my life just when it was just in a tough spot. Um, Cause I mean, me hitting Terrell up uh, at the suggestion of Fonte was basically because, you know, I was plateauing creatively and you know, I was putting in, putting in, putting in, but like it wasn't, It wasn't shifting anything. It wasn't seeming like I was growing. It seemed like I was just kind of going through the motions. And Tay was like, man, what you think about collaborating with somebody, like somebody that's, you know, close in the area? And we started, you know, talking about people and was like, yo, uh, what about Tall Black? Like, yeah, let me, let me hit him. I hadn't hit him. We hadn't worked on anything before. We had only, con we had only conversed, like we had had a drink uh, when Kelly introduced us um, face to face, and that was like 2017. We had been fans of each other for years, and you know, we had corresponded just through DMing and you know, things like that. After he did, like, you know, this could be the night remix. Mm -hmm. uh, but even then, it wasn't even on no music shit, it was on life shit. Because, yeah. like, at the time, I think he was uh, on a weight loss journey, and I had just started, so we were just talking about that. So, uh, you know, hitting him up to collaborate it open open up so many doors and it's like yo you know you got somebody you can trust musically whose ear you trust whose instrumentation you trust this is what needs to happen like this is how you're supposed to make music at least at this point in your life this is how you're supposed to make music like you've done it by yourself for this long and you've taken it as far as you can take it. 
now collaborate with somebody else and see where y'all can take it. Yeah. And I feel like what we did for abstractions was the result of that because it don't sound like nothing in my catalog. It don't sound like nothing in his catalog. And, you know, we were able to take it and build it together in the same room and, you know, now playing it out live and, you know, taking it and, and tweaking it and, mm-hmm. you know, moving it all, you know, through all these new new changes with yeah. more and, and and it's like, yo, like this is a, I would have never thought, because I'm always like, you know, by myself. I'm solo. I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, if you working with somebody, you're not taking away what you're doing. Yeah. Y'all have respect for each other. So it's building upon what's, what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a great place to be when, you know, again, I, I always say that I feel like I, I caught lightning in the bottle twice with Fonte and with tall black whereas a lot of people don't catch it once so you sound really excited man about the future oh yeah yeah we were just texting um this was two two three nights ago about some shit about you know ideas for you know an intro for a new album and you know we just going back we going back and forth like yeah. going, going crazy <clears throat> so it's like you know it's I think abstractions is just is just the beginning. Um, is there somebody else you would like to work with? There are tons. Um, off top, I can think of um, um, Faith Evans is one. Layla Hathaway is another. Lettucey is another. Mm. Uh, Rasan Patterson is another. Um, and I think a lot of those are starting to line up, but you know, we're being really patient. Yeah. And I think that, I definitely think that um, collaborations aren't to be forced. You know, we see a lot of things, like even if we, if I were to meet Let, I haven't even met Lettucey, but we've communicated and talked about, cause she heard uh, talking to myself and loved it. Mm. And was like, yo, and I was like, I'm, yo, we ready when you ready. Yeah. We said the same thing to Layla. We ready when you ready. Um, but it's like, you know, if I meet Lettucey and we take a picture, automatically on in the comments, folks will be like, man, y'all should collaborate. Yeah, Let's collaborate. Yeah. And I'm like, we should. But if it don't happen, yeah, that's that's yeah. what happens. Like I'm 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 cool with that. Um because I, I you know, I just think that I think that your musical relationships should really mirror your personal relationships. I, I can't make music with people I don't like. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you make people with music with people you like, and even more so people you love, I think the product is going uh, is gonna to show that. Otherwise, you're going to have a Jay-Z and R. Kelly, a best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah, that shit was the worst of both worlds. They yeah. They came with two of them albums. Man, I... um. I think your story is so fascinating, brother, and I hope that I was able to shine some light on like you, your journey and 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 there's a documentary mm-hmm. that you did um for 
Sky Break. It's called Making Sky Break. Making Sky Break mm -hmm. and Making Man Made. Yeah, that's right. You did two of them. Mm -hmm. Making Sky Break is on Quali, Quali TV, which uh -huh. is a black owned. They just got nominated for an award for something. I just got an email yep. like uh, yesterday, a couple days ago and from the woman who's the. And it's literally like, it's literally like one sister running it. Yeah. It, it, like that's like her, that's her baby. She runs it. She responds to emails like me and her have corresponded to get, cause she reached out to me. Dope. To get my, making Sky Break. And it's been up there ever since. And yeah, much, much, much love to her. Like and she's she's uh she's doing a thing. Go check that out. I'm gonna put a link in the uh description to to go on to check it out. Making man made. Like if you are a Zoe fan and you connect to his music and it resonates on any level, um connecting to the backstory understanding, you know, where this brother's come from, his journey will help a lot, will help add context, I would say, mm -hmm. to to the sounds, man. Because yeah. um, as a producer, I don't, I'm not on the mic, so I have to let my music speak and let my backstory and interviews speak for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you're not able to get my personality. Like, people don't, you know, people don't know, people don't know about me. Yeah. <laughs> Even if they know about me, they don't know about yeah. me. Yeah. You know, a lot, I get a lot, I get that a lot. Like, yo, I didn't even know you was this funny or like, I didn't know that you was this tall. You know what I mean? People don't know shit. I was telling Terrell, he was like, man, that dude is a jokester. <laughs> he, uh, you know, and, and, and it comes out in your stage performances. Right. Even right. though, you right. know, you're a producer, you're extremely charismatic, dude, and you connect um, in a very genuine way with the audiences, with your, with your call and response and, you know, your engagement and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's worth experiencing you guys live. Yeah. And, um, to that point, there's some tour dates coming up. Yep. Um, would you happen to know them offhand? Yeah, we, um, <clears throat> we're going to be in Cleveland actually next week on October 8th. Saturday, okay. October 8th, part of the Black Joy Festival. This is the inaugural festival, first one. Uh, and we're headlining it. So it's, it's super dope, free with registration. So come through. So is that um, the one Daniel's doing? Yeah. Oh, shout out to Daniel. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we hit North Carolina. We're in Charlotte on uh, October 14th at Neighborhood Theater. And we're at uh, the Pinhook in Durham. It's a day party on uh, October 16th. That shit's going to be I might gonna have to go to Durham, that's, bro. Uh, that's, it's going to be a reunion, man. We're going to have uh, pretty much everybody who you think is, you know, been on the albums that's in North Carolina. I've reached out, and we're, we're going to have some fun. Like, I haven't seen a lot of these, these cats in a minute and definitely haven't seen them in the same spot in the same space at the same time. So that one's going to be special. And um, we just booked D.C. again for February 19th at City Winder. That's a great venue. Yeah. The sound yeah. is awesome. Not a bad seat in the house. It's, 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 it's a decent size, yet still intimate. You still feel yep. uh, connected to the crowd. Yep. And we be repping, you know, yeah. even though, even though Zoe's from Detroit, he, he, he live in a DMV yep. and we, we show up and show out for the yeah. brothers, man. Now, 
DMV comes through, man, every, every single time. Like, we sold it out the first time. Second time, it was really, really close, but the energy was through the roof. And, um, you know, that was one thing that I noticed when I moved out of here. I was like, yo, y'all be, y'all giving up for cats. Like, when y'all ride with somebody, y'all be riding with somebody. So mm -hmm. I really, really, I have always appreciated that about this area and, and you know, making my transition out here. Um, back in 06, like really, really, really pretty smooth. Like it was, it was, nice. it was, it was open arms when I came out. What brought you to this area, by the way? You know what? It was, I was contemplating even moving to the East Coast or the West Coast. Okay. Um, my mother is originally from Gaithersburg. Ah. Oh. Shout so, out to Mama Zoe. Yeah. And so, like, my grandmother, uh, rest in peace, she was still in the same spot. So, like, I was like, you know, let me move move out here you know i have access to new york if i want to go because I, I was looking in, at new york but like it was like 800 dollars for a space like this right so <laughs> i was like nah i'm good but I'm, I'm like you know new york is four hours north north carolina four hours south everybody comes through dc mm -hmm. and it's you know it wouldn't be much of a a learning curve for me because i you know I, I come out here pretty much every year to yeah. see family so it was a logical move well, man, well, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that Kelly is a beautiful woman, bro. Mm -hmm. And my my life, not just musically, but personally, has been transformed by that woman. She introduced me to Afrobeat and all these other different types of sounds and, and deep house music and stuff, man. And, and I never thought that she would have introduced me to my brother. Right. Right. You know, that, that we just got that thing, man. Mm -hmm. And that, and it's a, and it's a beautiful thing. And to watch him create that beautiful thing with like other people, man, it's, um, I want to make sure that I acknowledge her for just all the ways in which she's made connections, man, and and made people who will never know right. that they're benefiting from these connections because of her. But it's mm -hmm. a uh, being a stand-up motherfucker, man, a good human being oh, is, a, is, 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 is is it'll get you everywhere, bro. Yeah. Might be a little slow, yeah. but it'll get you everywhere. It's very, it's, it's very underrated, man. Because yeah. I, I feel like a lot of folks are, are trying to make a living off of being an asshole. And yeah. I miss, I'm like, nah, that ain't that ain't it, man. Because at, at the end of it, man, we got our legacy. Like, we can go tomorrow. You go tomorrow, it's like, you know, you still got this catalog. And you still got folks like, yo, man, that was a, that was a good dude. Yeah. That was this, that was that. You know what I mean? Like a lot of, I think a lot of that, I think a lot of that comes back to you in life. And, you know, if you're able to stand, you know, stand 10 toes down, man, you, you good. You good out here. Why be a jackass? <laughs>